0: You are listening to Marcus sahaba online radio podcast. I definitely look forward to uh, which is uh, yeah. Come on, you all tell me, people, what it is. It is uh, legal talk. Legal talk, a program that keeps you up to speed on what's happening around you and uh, what's happening in the world of legalities. But we give you much more. Being an Islamic platform, we give you uh, that spiritual garnish on it yeah a lovely garnish of spirituality on this because the man that we have in front of me he is alhamdulillah an attorney attorney Hafiz Muhammad kubadia someone that has so much to share with the ummah that he'd me, you know what Whenever, you know what whenever we are on i love i love to be documented as, as you know what i gave my bit for the ummah and i would love to sacrifice my time for them and i tell him Harlan wa silent, Harlan attorney. Hafiz Muhammad Kobad. Yes, you're most welcome. Muhammad, assalamu alaikum wa wa barakatuh with the listeners of Martha Sahaba, the voice of the Allah Sunnah wal Jama'ah. Tell me, how are you doing this fine, beautiful Friday evening, Muhammad?
1: Wa alaikum, salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh and JazakAllah to yourselves. JazakAllah to your listeners for giving me an opportunity this beautiful Friday evening to spend some time in your company And I'm doing well alhamdulillah with the grace of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I'm doing well. How about yourself Shafat?
0: I tell you Muhammad, you know, already, uh, I'm grateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for giving me such an exciting life exciting in this sense of being on media Talking being on the straight and narrow you could have been on any other media where You could be talking uh, you know loads and loads of things that don't even get punctuated with blessings or you know that uh, whatever we say we are on the straight and narrow and we have to be you know very careful what we are talking about and our focus always will go on what uh, allah or ati rasul obeying allah and obeying his messenger and i think for that muhammad we, we can't thank allah subhanahu ta'ala enough but but i know something about yourself You've got guests, international guests, international dais. You've got imams from different masajids from around the world coming and visiting you in your office. How fortunate you are. (laughs) You know, before it was didat was a go-to man. Now don't tell me that uh, attorney Hafez Mohammed Kubadia has become the go-to man in South Africa. You've become the next didat.
1: Muhammad? Inshallah, why not? That's a beautiful dua. What a beautiful dua. I mean, I wish all the listeners also say with me, I mean, Jazakallah khair. Naam, I had, a, I had the opportunity for a few days uh, last week and this week to be with a Sheikh from the United States, a graduate of uh, the opened uh, madrasa. It is uh, Sheikh Shafayat. Sheikh Shafayat from the West Indies. Brothers remember him from the West Indies. He's very popular on YouTube. He's now in Uh, Florida, United States of America. He's running Al-Hikmah TV. He's running a Darul Ulum there. He's running charity and welfare organizations in the United States. And he said to me a few months ago, Mohammed, I'd like to come to South Africa. I've been here, 1994 was the last, so nearly 30 years ago. I'd like to spend some time in South Africa. I said, Sheikh, if you come, then I must insist that, you know, I'm going to host you and I want to spend some time in your company. And like that... uh, We've had other guests uh, over, you know, over time, but uh, Allah knows best why and how Allah made it such that we could host Shah, and we had a beautiful encounter. He had programs peppered all over Johannesburg, uh, and you know, we spent as much time as we could. We showed him uh, a lot of what was happening in 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 the Johannesburg area, and unfortunately, you know, we we have loved to have brought him down to uh, the KZN region, Durban. Uh, or even kept on, but his time was very short. You know, people travel today, the in today and out tomorrow situation. So he came for a few days. Uh, he did mention to me that he had the opportunity to meet uh, Sheikh Yusuf Didad, Ahmad Didat's son. He had that opportunity and he spent some memorable moments in his company and um, he, he reminisced about that. But yes, uh, whilst he was here, uh, we managed to take him, you know, to a local rehabilitation center where he spoke for an hour. And what I liked about that talk, for example, was that uh, he never spoke about being despondent, but rather he spoke about how a person, uh, a person that's addicted to substances, needs to be hopeful, and they need to know that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is the most merciful, and Islam is about hope, and Islam is about, you know, embattering oneself and making sure. And you know what he spoke for over an hour and some of the extended family were also invited to listen uh and everybody was like glued to his every word and alhamdulillah so for those of you who don't know it, uh, Sheikh uh of course he's this he, quite popular and with youtube today you know people in any part of the world can be, can be popular once you know he makes sense and people like what he's got to say sure you get people who are popular for the wrong reasons but alhamdulillah sheikh is popular for all the right reasons and uh, having an opportunity to interact with him and see things maybe from with a different spin enlightens us as people he because of where he is situated in florida he regularly has to take part in interfaith discussions meeting conferences he mentioned to me that he was also at one time the chair when he first initialized when he initiated this interfaith organization he was the chair and he had jews and christians working under him and for many years, you know, he assumed that position and he continued. So, yes, he's got a, a, a lot of experience in dealing with non-Muslims. And this is sometimes what where we learn from other people in terms of how to project Islam to Muslims around the world, different parts of the world. So tomorrow we meet somebody from America. We can understand that this is the mentality of the American, very different from the African Christian. And the African Christian is very different from the indian christian you know so like that um uh, for bringing it up it was it was it was a very memorable experience and opportunity and uh uh you know it's 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 past and we we just we, we reminisce about it and hope subhanahu wa give us some benefit out of that meeting that we had and the hosting that we had with shaykh Shafiyat muhammad from the united states
0: yeah you're a good pal you're a good buddy you can see the Enthusiasm, you uh, give his name you know, when you call it is love from the heart, and you know the, the the beauty of being with IPCI is that you know I remember Yusuf D that when I was editor of the Al Burhan, where he brought in uh, Dr Zakir Naik once, uh, and at, uh, at that time Dr Zakir Naik was uh, a fledgling student, so he brought him to into my office, and he said, yeah, uh, you know what I want you to. Uh, do some lecturing with him, and you know, talking about media and all that. And at that time, you know, listen, uh, you know, the story is a lesson to me. And I told Yusuf, you know what? I am so busy, I got no time to you know lecture anyone now. Please, you know, I, I got a publication to take off. So I spoke to him then. I said, hey, but Yusuf, he's also you know, he, uh, I see, I notice he's got a problem that he's stammering now. You know what? So Yusuf said, okay, we will leave it at that. And look at Allah taught me a lesson that that man became such an orator that he became uh, the, that, you know, 10 times plus. I mean, you look at the hits he got, 10, 20 million, 30 million people uh, listening to him and so forth. And then uh, I remember one day, whilst I was lecturing and there, there was an uh, old man that walked in, very, you know, handsome looking old man. And whilst I was lecture, you know, when I lecture, I don't like people to disturb me. So I looked at the door and the guy got my attention. You know, one of our guys, said, hey, got someone here." and then, all right, I looked. And then the old man came up, held my hand and said, you know, I'm Mufti Meng's father. And I was shocked. He said, you know, I listened to you very attentively on comparative religion. And that was on CI radio, which the show was very, very popular. It was like people like Hashim Amla that became fans of the show. And that's how I got very close to uh, people like Hashim and so forth. And, you know, these are stories I'm sharing with you, um, uh, Muhammad. The reason being that, you know, even I, I met your man. Uh, Shafayat, you know, Shafayat, uh, he's in the Molana, I think. And, uh, you know, just spoke to him. Uh, he was quite healthy, that time I mean, he was still healthy, but uh, yeah, he had his magazine there, and we spoke, we had a very cordial, warm uh, relationship, and, uh, you know, spoke well, like it was a ship passing by, but a warm uh, talk I had with him. But as he said, the go-to man then was Yusuf D. That And, uh, you know, Lots of lovely memories come out with you, uh, Mohammed. And in, in, in your, your instance, that you're carrying the flag. You're a torch burner. And in the, in, in a look at uh, Dr. Zakir Naik's case, uh, that he's been muted by the Indian government. And you notice that the Arabs are, 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 are acquiescing in silence because before the Arabs were big d That fans, were big Zakir Naik fans. Today, they're big Indian fans. It's all about the Indian investment and what we can do with India and, you know, allowing many other things to come through. And uh, these are experiences, you know, that uh, I'd I'll, I'll love to share with you. But uh, your thoughts on that, you know, you do not judge yeah. a book by its cover,
1: Muhammad. <laughs> no, alhamdulillah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given me many opportunities to interact with people. And, you know, from all walks of life, from all, uh, uh, from all different countries. Zakir Naik, like, alhamdulillah, before the Indian government shut him down, um, I visited him. I can't remember if it's once or twice, but I had the opportunity to go and sit in his offices and uh, discuss with him. And, you know, uh, at that time, uh, he was he was very popular. He was very busy, but alhamdulillah, he I, I gave me, uh, on the first occasion, at least an hour of his time, which was exceptionally long when I came to find out that, you know, he normally doesn't even like to interview or sit through with people because his work schedule is so... Uh, so it was so uh, it was, it was so difficult. So, yes, uh, Allah subhanahu gave me the opportunity to sit and intake with Zakir Naik and to bounce off some of the ideas about da'wah and some of the discussions we had was about how to improve the da'wah in South Africa. Uh, that was the opportunity. And uh, very recently, a couple of days ago, uh, APCI was graced with the presence of uh, Sheikh Adnan Rashid. So he gave a talk there. He did contact me and he told me his, uh, his schedule in Joburg was just two days because he needed to go down to Durban and IPCI. And then I somehow managed to watch him on YouTube when he was giving the talk at IPCI. c i Sheikh Nandrath Sheed will still be in South Africa for the next few days. Um, he'll be doing a debate tomorrow, Saturday in Cape Town against uh, a pastor. So, uh, and, then, and then hopefully uh, on his uh, return leg, I want to meet him in Johannesburg. He said that he will spend some time, short time, a couple of hours maybe, uh, in Johannesburg uh, because I didn't get a chance to meet him when he came down the first time. So, inshallah, further opportunities for us to do dawah and to learn from senior people. And uh, that's how we grow, you know, when we when we interact with people from different backgrounds, different experiences. We can grow and improve our own dawah, inshallah. Naam, naam, that's, that's uh, Shafat. It's yeah. been a few days of experience. Yeah,
0: David. but, you know, this is always. Uh, I have this uh, discussion with uh, Sheikh Rafiq Hassan also that, uh, you know, we've got the products. We've got our uh, uh, Mohammed Kuvadia. We've got the Rafiq Hassan. Then we've got uh, all these uh, individuals that are in this country. But uh, sometimes we go importing, you know. We like imports. <laughs> in a different flavor, indeed. But Alhamdulillah, as you say... I mean, if you look at the... Uh, you use a Skype. You use a Zoom. You use all these uh, facilities. You don't even have to fly nowadays. You just instantaneously you connect, and there's a big screen. You can do everything there uh, and then, uh, Mohammed.
1: Definitely, and I always say that somebody who we would have learned these lessons of social media from would have been the late. Great Sheikh Ahmad did that, you know. Um, he was a person who was a forerunner when he came to social media. In the 70s and the 80s, he was leading what social media was about. He took out a full-page advertisement in the Time magazine. He would have taken out full-page magazines in the New York Times. That's how how advanced this man was for his time. And um, he he was a type of person who, who understood what it means to get the message across. So it was videotapes, it was TV programs, it was books. This is how he worked. In today's day and age, you would have had a team of people promoting his efforts. And although he's not here, other people are promoting his efforts. So many people upload uh, Sheikh Didat's works onto YouTube. I mean, when you come across, it just type Sheikh Hamadidat and you're bound to find a thousand of his videos, at least um, out on the internet. Yes. So we have the opportunity today to do the dawa. Uh, some some the mindset of some people is you know dawa is not done this way. I feel that you know each person should be comfortable doing dawa in a way that he wants to do the Dawah. If you prefer to do debates and that's your style, and that has its pros and its cons at the same time. You know public speaking is is another kettle of fish. To be able to know your to represent Islam and to defend Islam on a on a public platform is a, is, a, is a huge responsibility. And I wouldn't recommend it to a novice. I wouldn't recommend it to a junior. Somebody who is well-versed in debating, somebody who is well well-versed in Islamic uh, basics, fundamentals, and then some of the questions in that are a, of an elevated state. So a person needs to have a wide general knowledge. If you had to look at the questions which Ahmed Didat was asked, it shows that he was a man who was well read and have a, had a very good understanding about Islam as a whole, so you need to be that type of a person and today even the questions have graduated, even the type of questions that they asked you know, thirty years ago and fifty years ago are no longer the same types of questions you're going to be asking people are uh, have uh, people are you know they 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 carefully considering now how to ambush Muslims and how to ask them these difficult questions and they have access to all these types of books by way of the internet. So you need to understand, you need to up your game if you're going to do debates, if you're going to do public speaking. Uh, One-to-one dawah is a safe way to go because if you don't know, I always say, you know, always admit that you don't know. There's no harm for a person to say, "You've asked me a beautiful question about Islam, my brother," and as a Muslim, I don't know what to say. But let me take your details. Let me get your WhatsApp details, and maybe in a day or two, I can come back to you a response. That's how we all learn. That's how we all learned. We had to trial and error. Sometimes, instead of blurting out the wrong thing, sometimes you may feel embarrassed. But you know what? That's the way of the scholars to admit when you don't know. That is part of your 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 your, your teaching to be able to go back, learn, understand, and find out. Logical answers to questions need to, be, uh, need, need, need to be in your memory bank because you're going to get these similar types of questions from time to time. Tidat was asked similar questions. If you look at the type of questions when he spoke about homosexuality or having four wives or he spoke about the problem in Palestine and Israel, these were questions that came up from time to time. So he had... And armament to deal with these types of questions he, he responded so well this is how a die should be a die should commit certain things to memory a die should be able to memorize verses even from time to time memorize Shakespeare because this is what people like to listen to you know uh, what you're going to feed us as humans is not the same thing you're going to, you're going to feed the non-muslims a Christian is going to be amazed at how well versed you are with the Bible a muslim may not be as impressed to hear you quoting verses from the bible so you know when you talk to these types of people then you understand the dynamics of these types of things so comment these things to memory make yourself develop yourself until you're confident enough to be able to speak to a larger audience and maybe inshallah like that you could be on your way on your way to be the next ahmad in the process
0: absolutely and you know when you're talking to people and you know you learn even their language of one line, you know. And this is what Dizak used to do: is to talk and you go to the Malaysians, learn one line in their language, and spoke if you spoke to the Zulus, he knew. You know, like you look at this a uh, proverb. Yeah, it's an African proverb. It says that when two elephants fight, the grass suffers the most. You know, things like that. You break the ice, and people look at you. You know as you said, be an all-rounder and being a, a dai at that level, at that uh, uh, being at an international level, he knew his politics, he knew his, uh, you know, he knew everything. He knew the culture of people, he knew history and, you know, when he was, he was very eloquent in whatever he bought, uh, brought through and uh, that's why his message is evergreen, Muhammad. You listen to it, it's like, you know, uh, the message, generations change, but the message of the noble Quran will always be the same and, you know, you can't change it. I mean, the, the challenge that he gave to the Christians, he says, by God, by God, in one of his debates, he says, even tonight, if Pastor Stanley Schuberg can show me one verse in the Bible where Jesus says, I am God, worship me. And he says, I will tonight become a Christian. And that challenge still stands, uh, Muhammad. No one can show you a line in the Bible where Jesus says, I am God, worship me oh
1: wow, yes i remember specifically that the, the challenge that you make and people were going crazy thinking and they tried to come up with all different types of verses in the bible john 3 16 or you know they found john chapter 20 uh verse 10 was uh so yeah there were there were these types of remarkable challenges that Sheikh Hamadidat had the guts to say, I don't know if I'm yet at that level to make those types of challenges. But, uh, you know, Allah gave him so much that he was able to move people. He was, you know, James White once referred to him as an entertainer, you know, probably trying to degrade him. He says, yeah, but, you know, Didat was an entertainer. I said, well, remember, this is what it's about at the end of the day, to be able to put your message across in the way that people are comfortable. Did not used to make you laugh? Did I could make you cry? Did that could move you, uh, from side to side? Uh, you know, uh, he, he, he was remarkable in the way he addressed things, in the way he looked at things. And we all strive to have that quality amongst us. And inshallah, we will, we continuing with this work. Why not? You know, it's Allah that grants success. It's Allah that grants us knowledge. It's Allah that grants us these opportunities. We just make dua sure that we continue doing the work and whatever success we get out of it whether it's the level of Didat or zakit or ananda whatever the situation is as long as we continue to, to do the work allah continues to reward us for our efforts
0: alhamdulillah yes uh, and the most important thing is uh to please allah subhanahu wa ta'ala most uh well muhammad you know when we got in touch with each other and uh, you know i told you uh, we ask the question, can Islamophobes be, be legally challenged? And if we talk about Islamophobes. Uh, we find about, uh, you know, find those individuals that make it their career to go after Islam and to go after the teaching of Islam and to go ma'azallah after the personality of Nabi Muhammad, sallallahu and, and then you got uh, world governments uh, that uh, demonize Islam into terrorist groups. And you, you notice that uh, in, in one instance where Hillary Clinton had this slip of a tongue, and even uh, Barack Obama, he said that those ISIS people, we funded them, we created them, and we put them into operation, and we do everything, you know. But you'll find that there is a deliberate ploy to have uh, Muslims uh, demonized and uh, to be projected in the the world of media or in in countries as uh, those, uh, you know, it's a religion that is uh, challenging the values of the Westerners, and it, it doesn't fit into their value system, which is really a valueless system. Uh, and, you know, it feels, it feels as if that uh, certain Muslim uh, emirate, we talk about the Arabs, just be frank about it, have been captured with the same train of thoughts, where they are banning dais, where they are not allowing, you know, you can't even have a debate in uh, in in these emiratis or in uh, in saudiya anymore you can't talk religion anymore and it seems as if uh, that uh, western uh, you know uh, phobia or islamophobia has even captured uh, these different so-called muslim lands i want you to you know give us your thoughts and i also want you to uh, you know interrogate uh, the thought of even uh, can we uh, legally oppose this can we legally take on those Islamophobes are those anti-Muslims in a uh, legal, you know, showdown, uh, Muhammad. Uh, The platform is yours.
1: So I think we should break down the word Islamophobia and try to understand what it means. Phobia, we all know it's a fear. It's an unreasonable fear mostly. And Islam is the fear of Islam. Unreasonable fear of Islam. So that's the definition. And how does it come into being? Any phobia is largely um, by way of a misunderstanding. So if I have a fear of snakes, for example, it's because I have a natural fear. That's my God-given fear. But at the same time, I may not know enough about snakes. I could see a completely harmless snake and scream my lungs out because naturally I I don't have an understanding about the snake. And it happened, for example, you know, you you let's let's take guns. Guns uh, by nature, people are scared of guns. But those who handle guns, firearms, they're completely oblivious to the gun. In fact, I think sometimes they get a bit careless about guns because they now, as uh, they're comfortable having guns around them. But it takes an understanding of guns to be able to know how a gun works and how what how safe a gun is. And uh, this is the mechanics of a gun. So, in order, so you don't have an unnatural fear. Now, if we relate that to Islam, it means that, notwithstanding the fact that twenty percent of the people on the face of this earth are Muslim, there still seems to be a complete imbalance as to uh, the the message of Islam getting across to everybody else. How is it today that we are? completely understanding of the nature of Christianity sometimes as 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 irreligious as it appears to be within the Christian religion we accept it and adopt it so like that I mean for example Christmas is not uh, is not a practice that was initiated by the early Christians it was something that was introduced by later Christians but we know Christians uh, we know Christmas We associate it with Christianity. We have no problem understanding it, and maybe, unfortunately, some Muslims even celebrate it. The same Muslim countries that don't permit you to have an Islamic talk or an Islamic debate in their own Muslim countries will be the first countries that will put up all these Christmas trees, that will have all the jingle bells and the Santa Claus, like we say, Father Christmas in this country. They are these, those countries that will celebrate Christmas and are willing to lose their religion for a few dollars, for a few days. But coming back to the original point, and we'll deal with maybe some of these countries maybe later, um, the original point is that there sometimes seems to be an extreme fear about Islam. And it may be as a result, one, of a lack of understanding of what Islam is about, or number two, some extremist elements within Islam who purport to represent Islam. So they appear that they are representative of Islam, and uh, they may, for example, suicide bomb in a public area, or driving a truck down the street and killing people, creates a sense of fear about Muslims in general, albeit, just the actions of one or two people. So like I said, firstly, it is a lack of knowledge. And this lack of knowledge is partly because of our own incapacity, of our own uh, negligence and maybe laziness in trying to project and promote what Islam is about. If we had more people standing up, you mentioned Barack Obama's name, and when you first... And to even hear the name Barack Obama, you think the man is Muslim. You think the man has a Muslim name, that he would be a Muslim. He would have been, what a great honor would have been for Muslims to have a Muslim president of America, leading America by Islamic values and Islamic qualities. Allah put him there, and unfortunately, He is the worst representation of what Islam is about. His father was Muslim, and unfortunately for him, he never became Muslim. His grandmother is Muslim in Nigeria, uh, but the reality is we don't have the Muslims that are there. Very few of them are truly representative of what Islam is about. If you go to Dubai, if you go to some of these Arab countries, Lebanon, you go to uh, Jordan, uh, you go to Egypt, It's supposed to be Muslim by virtue of the number of Muslims, 90% plus Muslims living in the environment. But sometimes you think you're in New York City. Sometimes you think you're in Hollywood or Bollywood or something because what type of Islam is there left in Dubai? If a Christian goes in Dubai, he could very well think he's he's coming into a Christian country. They may wear a few the the garb of a Muslim in some places. They may call the Zan loud. But I think that could very well be where Islam starts and where Islam ends. But that's not what Islam is all about. Islam is much more than that. So yes, talking about uh, Islamophobes and Islamophobia, so we'll start off by saying that they, it's a genuine, something that genuinely exists in, uh, in the community, something that genuinely exists around the world. There's innate fear for Muslims, and this innate fear is, uh, is, 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 is unwarranted. It's not necessary for a person to be fearful of a Muslim in fact the nature of a Muslim is such that another Muslim should not be afraid of his hands or his tongue or as the Prophet said, this is the quality of believe or something to that effect so another Muslim is not afraid of his hands or his tongue our neighbors supposed to be are supposed to be they're supposed to have a sense of security by living next to us even if there's some nonsense happening down the road, our neighbors are supposed to say, we don't need to worry, we can sleep in peace. The Muslims around us are always responsive. They always would take up the challenge and they would always defend us. This is the Muslims in the COVID. This is how we as Muslims are supposed to be. In the interest of doing Dawah, and because me and you are passionate about Dawah, I think it's important that we make sure that we project the right image of what Islam truly is, you know, Are we sending the right message? Are we scaring people away? People sometimes come out of Islam. After having reverted into Islam, they then convert and come out of Islam because of the conduct and the quality of individuals within the Muslim community. And if we can't keep these people, how are we going to attract then people who have hatred towards Islam? So character is something that we need to work on. The knowledge and information that we disseminate about Islam should be correct, it should be truthful, and it should be what Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam taught us. When Nabi sallallahu alayhi came, even into Medina, and he could have easily have out, uh, uh, outnumbered the Jews of Medina, he still gave them the benefit of the doubt. He entered into a peace treaty with, treaty with them until they reneged on the peace treaty, and that's when he expelled them. So he dealt with them justly when they had issues within their community that needed uh, the intervention of somebody like Nabi Wasallam. He judged them fairly, so much so that when two Jews had a dispute, they knew if they take it to uh, Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam that they, he, would, uh, he would deal with them justly, fairly, more honorably than even the best judge of today. Yes, Shafat. I know. I know you've asked me a few questions, and I'm only yeah. beginning to start to sketch the surface. So no, no, yes, absolutely,
0: I'll... you know, uh, because uh, you and I, when we can uh, chat, we can talk, people. We can talk, but Alhamdulillah, let's get to the nitty-gritty. I'm, I'm going to give you a scenario here, and I want you to solve it as a uh, as an attorney. We look at nine eleven. You know, uh, and it was a, a a very heinous crime indeed. Uh, but we know exactly how it was done. Did it? The proof was there that the building was there was no explosion taking place. The building were pulled down, it was implosion, it was detonated, and so forth. But uh, you know, the scientists got in there, the engineers got in, and they said, No, there was no ways that this steel structure could have been brought down by planes. It was brought down through a nuclear thermo energy. The steel was cut through, and the, the, the engineers even gave evidence of that. And we know that only two countries on this earth had that. Uh, capability or that uh, knowledge of uh, bringing down or cutting steel at that speed so it can, can fall within a few seconds and we know all the proof has come through world media got in there and uh, u.s you know pushed forward the uh the mantra that, that this was uh, a terrorist attack and they couldn't find the black box but they found the uh the, the passports of the perpetrators they even gave you names of uh, some people that we're not there on the scenes; that we're living somewhere else and, you know, not even in, in Saudi Arabia, we're living in different parts of the world. And here there was concrete evidence. By what, Why wasn't that brought, you know, as a case? Why wasn't it taken forward and, you know, brought into a legal court and said, you know what? This was a big lie perpetrated against the Muslims. It was a big lie perpetrated against the people of afghanistan it was a big lie perpetrated against saddam hussein it was a lie perpetrated nay against the house of islam why wasn't this taken to that level
1: muhammad you know this whole 9 11 incident i think our first natural response was that how could something like this even happen we just turned the corner we came into a new century People were at this level of optimism, and then one day out of the blue, we see a plane jamming itself into a building, and half an hour later, 45 minutes, another plane. And to our amazement, all of us sat, and we were absolutely shocked when the buildings collapsed. In some sort of a systematic order, we saw these buildings collapse, and we looked over our shoulder, we looked at the people around us, everyone was in amazement, and that was our natural reaction. Until the dust settled, literally, until the dust settled. And then certain things didn't make sense. Where was the plane that hit the Pentagon? A plane hits a Pentagon and disappears. I mean, if you're talking about magic, surely this would have been the biggest magic act of the century. A whole plane disappearing. Something that what David plane or. Some what, what I can't even remember what some of these magicians' names are. They could never even have uh, have, have have created such stark magic. Uh, and and you quite you brought, you brought something to the point. You said dead bodies could not be found. Huge huge steel metal things were you know all over the show. Uh, falling down on people and on, 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 on people's lives and on people, but two and three and four passports were found in perfect mint condition as if it just got printed the other day. Printed, and then they came to find out these Americans were beer swishing, womanizing, drinking pilots who came there on a the party. And I mean, is this, <laughs> is this the jihadist? somebody, a jihadist, we get the impression is somebody that forgets five times a day, he'll pray ten times a day. A jihadist is somebody that will read the Quran daily, every day, when you show him a picture, or when he sees a woman, he'll put his head down in shame, and he'll start screaming all type of abuses to the woman to get out of his way, but not the type of mentality of these pilots who the Americans then accused. And whilst they accused Saudi Arabians of being the pilots. You know, it's the case of the dog is biting you, but you're kicking the cat. So they decided that this is a perfect opportunity for us to go to Afghanistan. But we know that this was the plane long before 9-11. We know the orchestration of 9-11, how these perfect implosions took place so conveniently hours after the plane crashes into them. And I mean... Uh, scientists, you don't even need a doctorate. I don't think you even need to be a scientist to look at the picture and say to yourself, how is it that a plane that crashes into you on the 60th floor, suddenly on the ground floor, on the 4th floor, on the 10th floor, the building is collapsing like that in some sort of an order. Surely that doesn't make sense. I mean, you'd find that the top half of the building would probably get burnt up and sliced up and mashed up. But, you know, it doesn't make sense to anybody looking at it but we then all fools. If you say a lie often enough, then eventually the whole world will begin to believe the lie. You know, this, this is the mentality. The flat earthers, people will always go out and say, no, it was Osama bin Laden sitting in a cave in Afghanistan managed to bring down two huge buildings. We can't even I mean, think of the impossibility, how fortified the Americans were, how fortified third of the century. And with all the knowledge that they have, people are training to bring down the building Osama bin Laden sitting in Afghanistan, managing to to penetrate the best CIA, FBI, uh, New York, NYPD, all these things they penetrated, and to say they had no knowledge about it. And conveniently, the Jews didn't go to work that morning, and conveniently, the insurance policy premium got upped and paid promptly, and conveniently, all these things happened. But we know at the end of the day, that they could fool everybody, but a discerning Muslim is not fooled by these types of things. So, yes, whilst we are voiceless when it comes to these things, whilst we have little or no say as to what the Americans project and promote to be their ideology, we know it was an attack against Islam. We know inevitably it was the precursor to Afghanistan. It was the precursor to the Arab world. It was the precursor to a lot of sanctions and boycott, even against Iraq. This was all just a setup, turn of the century. They needed more money. They needed to loot another country. They needed to colonize another country. And this was their opportunity. So they made billions selling arms, making the world scared that. Uh, Saddam Hussein is going to attack you. So we need to sell you more weapons and we need to fortify you and we're going to come into the Arab world and we're going to protect you because you can't protect yourself with all your money in the world. You've got absolutely nothing to protect. Tomorrow, 10 bandits will be able to take over your kingdom. So that's that's the unfortunate reality of how the Americans work. And, uh, you know, you're right. We've been voiceless. We've never taken it up. Yet, you know, there are there are those critics from the united states that challenge the government at many levels and it's through these challenges that they managed to unearth many of the lies when the report came out uh, you know they they, they they it showed the flaws of the american uh, the uh, the media campaign at work it showed the false, uh, flaws and it brought to light many of these things and uh, you know what do we do sitting in Devon, sitting in Johannesburg, we may, you know, we're helpless against these types of onslaughts against the Muslims. But we have Allah, and that is for us the best, the best thing, the best thing, there is no force that can even challenge the will of Allah. So yes, Allah, uh, we, we know that Allah is there and He will be there to protect us. And whatever losses we suffer, Allah will reward us for it. That That is the belief of a Muslim. He thinks in this manner and this fashion that at the end of the day we have Allah. And as great and mighty as Americans, Americans are, in the past, the Pharaoh and that kingdom, the kingdom of Moses, the Pharaoh in the face of Moses, was just as strong, if not stronger. And there were many kings that came and went. And there were many leaders that came and went. And today, tomorrow, India may be the next giant. And India, with all its carnage uh, against the Muslims and all its onslaught against the Muslims in its country, We pray once again for the protection of the Muslims there, even in that part of the world. We know that Modi is a supporter of the Zionist regime. We know he's a friend to the Americans and that he hates Muslims and the Muslim countries, even though the Muslim countries have generally been good to him. Unfortunately for us as as Muslims, they've been employing millions of of Indians, irrespective whether they're from the south or the north, whether they're Hindu or Tamil or Muslim. They've been employed in the Arab world, go to Dubai, they're running huge businesses out of Dubai and they're making and they're raking and they're milking Dubai of its resources and they continue to love that. But I'm saying, you know, that's their, that's their fortune. And um, the Muslims have just become victims in today's day and age.
0: Muhammad, yeah, I mean, I can't blame you. You can't, uh, be, can't have a case because uh, we're impotent people. We are impotent. But as you said, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, Huck will prevail and falsehood uh, perish. You brought in uh, the Indian uh, story. I mean, uh, look at the, those uh, that gang raped uh, the, the the Muslim sister. Uh, you know, and she was pregnant. They killed the child and so forth. And uh, they hardly served their sentence, and they were released uh, by this uh, Indian uh, judiciary. And uh, they were welcomed when they were released uh, with applause and a prompt. And each one was given a medal. Can you call this justice? Then you look at the justice system, so-called justice system of Pakistan. Look at what they're doing to Imran Khan, a man of haq, a man of truth, and uh, they're acquiescing or accuencing to the whims and fancies of their Western masters—the puppet and the puppeteer syndrome. Muhammad, your thoughts?
1: I think you know the British. Really divided us. Really set the cat amongst the pigeons. Today we have a divided India, Pakistan, India, Bangladesh was all one, and this is all the result of the efforts and the cunning nature of how the British understood that we can create these types of problems. Today, India and Pakistan, for the last since since independence, India and Pakistan have always been at war. And it seems that this war is never ending, it will never stop. It's unfortunate today that India is supposed to have been majority Muslim. Had the figures and had everything remained, the status quo remained exactly how it was under the British system, India, the whole of India was predominantly Muslim. And then they forced the Muslims to the north, they brought the Hindus to the south, they created the segregation, and what's the net result of that India has 20% Muslims, they say close to 250,000 Muslims, but yet it's a drop in the ocean or it's rather a minority in India, so much so that they can push us around. And when we do have world leaders today that stand up against India, people like Imran Khan, unfortunately, those sellouts, those bootlickers in his own cabinet, in his own government, are the first people that sold him out. When he, you know, he stood up with Russia saying, I remember that moving speech of his and he said the russians have offered us oil at discounted prices when we never had money to buy oil the russians gave us food they gave us rice they gave us staple meals so the people of pakistan you fighting a war with russia and you forget that we don't have a war russia is our friend they've been our friend a friend of pakistan for many years just because you're having a fight for Russia. And he moved, he moved the people. People understood it, but unfortunately, people in his own cabinet backstabbed him. It's about today, it's about jealousy. Why Why must Imran Khan be successful? He's just a cricket player and he's teaching us about politics, but we admire the man. Imagine if every country had Imran Khan, how much more, what a beautiful place the world would live in. And Imran Khan came up, you can see he's a man, he came up from sports into politics, and he rose amongst the ranks, and he never became president overnight. Imran Khan has been busy fighting for the people of India for for decades now. And Allah put him there, and he came there, and he made changes. He made changes. He built hospitals, and he built schools, and you could see daily we were getting upkeeps, updates of Imran Khan. He made us proud to be Muslim, because when he stood, stood up and he spoke at United uh, the U- UN offices, the uh, United Nations in New York, he made us proud to say that, you know what, this is, this is somebody we support. This is somebody who has his head on his shoulders. He knows exactly what he's doing and exactly what he's saying. This is where he was. Uh, and, and when he challenged India, then he was silenced by the people. When he challenged the United States, he was silenced. And unfortunately, this is the reality of politics today, that it's about being friends with the Americans. And if you're not with us, then you, you're going to be an enemy. You are against us. That's the reality. Imran to fight.
0: Yeah, uh, Muhammad. And uh, when you were at the United Nations, says, wa Surah one, verse four: You alone we worship, and you alone do we ask for help. And it was absolutely brilliant. And whilst you talk eloquently about uh, these uh, Britishes, that divide and rule, and uh, you know they used to call those people that were like sellouts and that were embraced uh, uh, the British, uh, you know. Philosophy and the British arts and culture and the British way uh, way of life They should call them the brown sahibs of India and the brown sahibs are quite a dangerous lot And then uh, one of the products of the brown sahibs happened to be a person called Salman Rushdie and Salman Rushdie who wrote the satanic verses and uh, you, you, you remember before he wrote his idea alone when he went to these publishers and he told them, you know this is what I uh, envisage and this is a type of story. I'm going to write so what they did there uh, Muhammad. They paid him You want to guess how much they paid him Muhammad 1 million pounds. They paid him 800,000 US dollars before he Ooh. jotted a word. They said hey, hey you the man go <laughs> for it and there's he he wrote something being uh, uh, Having Muslim family uh, families uh, his cousins are Muslims and you know practicing Muslims And he went on wholeheartedly writing a book deliberately. He knew what he was doing, but he said, no, no, no. These are things that are figmentation of my imagination, Uh, Muhammad. And recently, you know, 30 years later, after writing the satanic verses, uh, he was brutally assaulted. Your thoughts on that?
1: you know i'll I'll follow the advice of ahmadi. don't read this book. it's rubbish. I'll read the book for you you know uh, i was I was still in my teens when Salman Khan had the audacity and the dumb-wittedness to go out and publish this type of book, and I wasn't aware of the eight hundred thousand dollars, so you can imagine what a what a fortune it was in the eighties for him and no good good for nothing little <laughs> a, little, a little, little, piece of nothing to have them come up in the ranks, and 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 sometimes you know what they say that uh, there's no such a thing as uh, as it's uh, ambush marketing, it's it's publicity. As much as it was bad publicity, it was also publicity that he would otherwise have not received. If every Muslim on the face of this earth, which was impossible, but if every Muslim had to turn a blind eye, nobody would have known who Salman Rushdie is, and. The reality of the situation is the Muslims at the same time can't allow for somebody to make these type of statements against the Nabi of Allah and his family. How is it that the mothers of the believers can be insulted and get away with it? Of course, any person would get all heated up about it. Me and you sitting here now, as we have to, if some of those sentences were read to us, we get heated up because that's the nature of a believer. A believer would not sit back and just watch it happen, and uh, to inflame things further, or rather, you know, the, uh, you remember Khomeini issued that uh, that one million dollar or three million dollars reward for the head of some. issued a fatwa for the head of uh, Salman Rushdie, and uh, this is uh, this 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 actually gave them the type of support because people. Who were anti-Shia or anti-Iran, then suddenly said these are the only Muslims that have the guts to stand up against Salman, and these are the only Muslims to take have the guts to stand up against the UK government. So like that, uh, the 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 whole Shia movement became much more popular. I remember even in this country in South Africa, people were like going crazy for Khomeini, as if you know Khomeini was now the next texts best things and sliced bread, so yes, it was an unfortunate situation that Muslims then you know uh, were faced with the conundrum of him making his name against the back and against the good nature and against the good name of what Islam was, and the sallam and his family and I mean, I never read the book I don't think I would have the nerve to pick up a book like that because it would just inflame me. Or, it, you know, it's it's something that it's if somebody, like Sheikh, uh, Sheikh Dirad says, he's read the book, we shouldn't even buy the book because we would just be adding to his coffers, adding to his royalties and making him, um, him richer and more popular. So, yes, he seemed to have got away with it, having received the support of the British government, because, like you say, we'll pay you 800,000 rand to inflame the Muslims. What better situation like that? So... Now we have the cartoons where they publish the cartoon in the newspaper to inflame the Muslims. Now we would have all types of satires against the Muslims, all set of comedy shows against the Muslims, and we as the Muslims just have to lap it up. But you know what? I take solace in knowing that Nabi Salaam and the Sahaba went through much more than what we went through. He was called a sahir. He was called a magician. He was called a madman. He was called all types of names just in an effort to stem him down. But Allah chose and made it such that His the message of Islam was far louder than their cries. And we have the same type of relief, knowing that, you know what, the youth hirahu ala kuli that Islam will continue to prevail and will prevail over all the other religions. You know, we make to add that, notwithstanding all these um, uh, the setbacks that we have from time to time, we're talking about, Salman Rushdie, you're talking about 9-11, you're talking about all these things. It seems that every decade there's a new challenge for Muslims. Notwithstanding all these things, Islam is the fastest growing religion on the face of the earth. People are embracing Islam every day. Those Bible thumpers, those rednecks, those Hindu bullies are the same people. Today they talk about Islam. Tomorrow they're the same people that accept Islam. How many times we've come across it. I, I, I saw YouTube videos about people what about Netherlands or Germany? It was that one person from a political party, and he talks about his to Islam, and he says, I used to hate Islam. Islam was exactly the type of religion I didn't want for me and my family. And today, I'm the, I, I promote Islam because I understand what the values of Islam are about. I saw a YouTube video about a person in America. He wanted to blow up the masjid. He says, I came to this masjid, and my intention was to blow it up. And then I met a few Muslims, and they invited me inside the masjid. And they're like talking to me and they're telling me about, they're welcoming me and they're offering me food and I'm thinking to myself, I, am I am I really going to blow these people up? Look how nice and beautiful and how welcoming they are. And it's just a matter of time when they accept Islam. So yes, yes, that's how we deal with Islamophobia, with love, with mercy. We look to them and we say, you know what, my brother, we love you for the sake of Islam. Be my brother, join me, come stand next to me in salah, read la ilaha illallah, then I'll take a bullet for you. Then you are my Muslim brother. Then, irrespective of what the whole world says, you are my brother. That's, I think, maybe the best approach for a Muslim. Try to deal with these Islamophobes in a way that that we kill them with our kindness.
0: Yeah, I would like to share some thoughts with you. I was uh, personally involved with the that when that issue came about, uh, you know, and I did read the book because he that had it in his office, it came in a parchment and uh, I'll tell you, we read it and there was some, a lot of unsavory thing, but uh, talking about, you know, uh, Khomeini passing the fatwa there and the whole world looking up uh, to Iran and so forth. uh, But, you know, uh, it was a very personal story where, you know, subsequently you found that uh, uh, Rushdie and uh, Khomeini had a thing with each other because uh, uh, Khomeini took uh, some of uh, the insults that uh, that was perpetrated by Salman Rushdie as a personal insult to him. And subsequently, uh, Rushdie wrote a second book, which was known as Harun, which was uh, Rushdie on one end, his son Harun on the other end, and the other person ha- happened to be Khomeini. And, uh, you know, subsequently, um, we had to conscientize the youth about, you know, what Shiaism is all about, and what is all this about, and you know the the the, the vilifying of our of our, our Sahabas, ma'azallah by them, and the Mufti A.J. Hussein of Amal Sahaba, the voice of Al sunnah wal Jamaa, doing brilliant job on that and conscientizing people. Beware, don't get carried away with slogans and all this. But the bottom t- uh, line is what Ahmed did. That strategy turned out to be Muhammad was uh, that he turned the tables. He said, "Beta, let's look at the." excerpts here, right, or oh, we take it for granted. He said, no, but uh, these are the names of the prophets' wives. No, no, no they, they, they're not part of this uh, Harlem here or this brothel or so-called. And he he started giving, he started playing uh, linguistic gymnastics. But that went uh, uh, a little further. And he said, instead of us getting emotional and, you know, get, uh, killing each other in our emotions and, you know, losing it, let's be rational about the whole thing. Turn the tables and let's tell the West what Salman Rushdie Tells them about themselves, where he swears the queen, where he swears Maggie Thatcher, what he thinks of the white man, how he's using those Hindi superlatives, you know, those superlatives that are uh, that are not uh, uh, not allowed to be spoken in public, but he uses that to you know uh, to, to to swear his benef- benefactors and to tell them things like that. So did that actually turn the tables? on the west and you know and his title was he came out with a booklet which he said which he called how Rushdie fooled the west so i was very involved in that uh, did a lot of editing and so forth and then subsequently he took this whole lecture and he went uh, to wembley in uh, in the in the uk and he addressed the whole audience that is history mohammed our time has uh, flown by perhaps uh, your parting words uh, this uh, this evening
1: You know, uh, as Muslims, I think, you know, we're going to encounter different types of Islamophobia in our environment, at home, at work. Sometimes in our own community, we find, because of the diverse nature of the people that we live in, we live amongst different people. I hear incidences of people buying homes in some of the exclusive and plush areas, and they want to build an outbuilding, and suddenly the metro is on top of them, and when they come to find out, it's because a few of the Jews living in the area don't want the Muslims to move in, so they're making their life difficult, or they don't want a masjid to be built in different parts of the country, you know and you understand these types of phobias, we've got to deal with these things we need to conscientize people that you know what, this is the unfortunate uh, reality of living in a diverse society and we need to be able to to deal with these issues in a way that shows that we are civil human beings and that we we will challenge, we will stand in what we believe in you know, we will challenge them back in the same way they challenge us, but at the same time Also remember that we are Muslims. We need to project the best version of Islam because in the same way we can attract people and draw people to Islam, in the same way we can repel people from Islam. So yes, my message to the brothers and sisters, many times we have to be patient and we have to allow things to take its course. and we can't be radical and take the law into our own hands also because that would also be illegal and that would also show that we are uh, we 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 descending into the arena just like them and that we want to deal with things instantaneously um you know so yes uh, i think that's the lesson maybe we can take away from tonight's discussion Shafat jazakallah once again for having me on your show and jazakallah to your listeners for really sticking it out for one hour i appreciate it it gives us you know the positiveness that we that we we, we need from time to time to come back i mean on a friday night we're going to spend time with the family but we're spending time with an extended family so alhamdulillah jazakallah for giving us that opportunity assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh
0: walaikum wa wa rahmatullahi wa wabarakatuh to uh, yes our very own uh, attorney hafiz Muhammad kuvadia eloquent indeed and he really has taken t- uh, to you as a family and allah bless him uh, for giving us his uh time and his expertise and uh, yes lucarlo thank you very much for a brilliant engineering Keep it locked on uh, to uh, the station. Well, yeah, yeah, I'm just saying locked on because we still have to go for the Azan. And after the uh, uh, Isha Azan, uh, we will be uh, getting into pertin- uh, No, no, no. We'll be getting to Wasail Al Elam Sadiqa, truthful news. And uh, this evening, it will be the uh, Member of Parliament Ambad Manzur Sheikh Imam who will be joining us. So, Inshallah, let's go for the Isha Azan.